Now, Tech Talk with Alan Perry on CFAX 1070. Welcome back to the April, or welcome to the April 1st and 2nd edition of Tech Talk for 2023. I'm Alan Perry. Okay, I'm joking. Attributors are working. Filling in for Alan Perry, who's escaped Hawaii for a few days, I'm Kyle Wilson, a college-based IT specialist and tech editor for Business Insider. Nice one. <laughs> Good way to start the show. Uh, I'm Brian Pavlicic, your Tech Talk producer. I'm taking a little break from my paternity leave to come here and hang out with Kyle for the morning, and uh, hopefully you guys don't stump me too badly. Hopefully not. We're live on Saturday morning. If you're listening on Sunday afternoon, you're hearing a rebroadcast from yesterday. And if you can't catch all the show on the air, Brian will upload a podcast once the show is over. If it's Saturday morning, you can text us at 107010. Please include your first name. It really helps us out. And you can also phone into Tech Talk at 250-386-1161. Or on a smartphone, you can call star 1070. And our email address, which you can use at any time, is techtalk at cfax1070.com. Uh, and so next weekend, Alan will be be back, and he'll be joined by Atan Rubini, the president of the Mac and uh, Victoria Mac and iOS user group. But for now, he's uh, he's uh, he's tanning in Hawaii. I heard he just woke up and uh, is going to join us after the first break. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be good to have him on and uh, talk about some stuff. So let's begin with uh, some news around Twitter. Why not? Yeah. So basically, Twitter users, there's a common. A scam that's going around right now where accounts that were compromised or hacked uh, have been purporting to give away MacBooks for free. And you'll basically see a picture that will have a bunch of MacBook computers in them from Apple. And if you see that, they'll be like, hey, we're giving these away for free. Just give us your personal information. <laughs> please, please don't. Those are a scam. Just just stay away. Uh, that's item number four on the show notes, uh, shownotes.ca. This is very much the shape of these typical scams. I, w- I always say, like, even if this, it's never real. It's, it's always too good to be true. And just, they're just, you know, trying to get your info and, you know, and get free advertising out of you. Exactly. The rule of thumb is typically that if it's too good to be true, odds are it is. Yes. Uh, so there is an update to uh, iOS and iPadOS. It's 16.4. Uh, it's worth doing. It comes with important security patches, uh, as well as we got 21 new emojis from the latest um, approved batch from the Emoji Consortium. Um, the good one, it, we finally have a pink heart. I don't know. Awesome. <laughs> Can you believe how long we've had emojis and we've had we've never had a pink heart, which seems like the yeah, first one they should have added. That seems like one of the first things they should have added for sure. And unless your plan includes a lot of data, then... Odds are, if it asks you to use cellular data to download the update, choose don't use cellular data. Choose that option uh, because this update is more than 1.8 gigabytes in most cases, so it will hurt your data cap. It's funny you mention that because I ran it last night and I had forgot I was troubleshooting my Wi-Fi and I turned it off. And so I'm like three quarters through and I check and I'm like, how's it not done downloading yet? Oh, I've done like pretty much the whole thing over my data plan. (laughs) Ouch, that would hurt your data cap, that's for sure. Yeah, I got enough buffer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, another uh, setting that comes in that iOS update is uh, in terms of accessibility, uh, and they're allowing users to automatically dim video when flashes of light or strobing effects are detected. That's very good. Yeah, obviously this is relating to like potential seizures. Yes, so. definitely, because that is a, a big risk out there. And so it's good that they're finally doing that. Hopefully more systems will do that. Exactly. I look, Kudos to Apple. I love the accessibility page. I mean, even just for fine-tuning stuff that... You even if you don't have a specific requirement, I often find useful like their uh, their ability to put dim and filters for different. Exactly. Vision. Yeah, I was setting up my uh, uh, new Mac a 
few weeks back, and I was surprised. I decided to explore the accessibility options just for the fun of it. I don't need them, but I just decided to look around and see them all. And it was really cool to see the different ones they had in there. Like they'll have it talk to you, like basically a screen reader, oh, and I'm, a bunch I of other it features. It's so handy, and I could definitely see that being useful to people. Yes. While we're on that, I'll just a little reminder: is you can turn it on on the iPhone so that if you pull down two fingers from center to like the middle of the screen, you can just activate the screen reader basically on any page on your oh, iPhone. Oh, cool. That's I, Yeah, that's handy. And I've started using that a lot. It's just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's so much easier to like read along. Yeah, that would be definitely. I can understand that. Uh, what was it? Oh, and the other one, I like peas in a pod. We got peas in a pod in the emojis in this this latest one. So you, Again, these are things that you think would already be there. Yes. But, but I'm glad they're finally adding them. Yeah, we that the sum total now is over uh, three thousand six hundred emojis available. That's a lot. So I, I don't see where that's going to stop. <laughs> no, I don't because you can constantly add more. And the emoji consortium, I believe Tom Scott. Well, I'll have to find it and probably throw it in the show notes. Uh, but I believe Tom Scott did a video a while back about the emoji consortium and how that all works and how we got emojis. Oh, very interesting. I yeah. believe it's him. I'll double check that. Don't fact check me on that. Uh, but we will definitely throw something in when I find that. Cool. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, so, uh, number two in the show notes is uh, just a reminder that we re- recommend you not unsubscribe for marketing email lists. Um, you know, as annoying as they are, unsubscribing is often farmed out to a mailing list processing firm. Uh, and when you hit the unsubscribe button, and then they offset the processing of this by selling that email to other mass marketers. Like, you're no longer a client of them, and their terms of like keeping your email private are no longer a concern to them so they happily hand it off and they know it's an approved working email address not just a you know spam generated one exactly and they'll pay more for that because it is uh, proved working guaranteed yeah. and so instead of marking emails or instead sorry we recommend mark emails as uh, junk or block the sender unless they're coming from a gibberish computer generated email address as it's a waste of time to block those just delete the messages right they come in different constantly every time. change every time yep but uh, I mean, the junk filters are so good these days, really. But uh, yeah, depending on the, you know, your provider, you might be getting more or less of that. Um, let's come back. So um, popular YouTube channels uh, such as Linus Tech Tips have been getting scammed. Um, not not scammed, but they have been they've been hacked, and then that is, their accounts have been used to scam people. We'll get into that a little bit more in the second hour. Yes, definitely. Uh, we have a guest uh, that Kyle's lined up here. Actually, why don't you tease uh, who who we've got coming in hour two? Yeah, certainly. We've got uh, Chet, who's a friend of mine, who he was a retired Intel and cyber threat analyst for United States Air Force. Wow. Who does yeah. business consulting now. Okay, excellent. And we were going to cover, yeah, we're going to cover some of these scams and then uh, just the AI, AI is stuff, such yep. a hot topic right now. I'd love to hear his opinions on, yeah, on exactly. some of the latest stuff here. Um, okay, well, let's throw it to our first break. Uh, we'll queue up Alan, see if he's wiped the sleep out of his eyes and ready to yep. listen. We're, we've got... Um, yeah, we kind of, I can't believe we haven't mentioned this yet, but something we're going to get Alan to report on is the Shaw and Rogers merger. Yes, that's gone through. Yes, we, it's, it's approved. Um, we have a, a decent list of conditions that they have to follow with some pretty strong incentives <laughs> that they stick with them. Uh, but we will talk more the, that, about that after the break. Yeah, sounds good. And welcome back. So the Shaw deal has gone through. And it comes with 21 conditions and stiff financial penalties for the companies so they don't meet them. Yes. Yeah, we have. So for each condition, uh, for each year that they fail to meet it, uh, Rogers is uh, on the block for uh, 100 million, which is pretty amazing. That is a lot, definitely. 
And the purchase went through for $26 billion is what the agreed purchase price was on that. And the financial penalties to Rogers are up to a billion if it doesn't hold up its end of the bargain. Yes, if all, like if they don't meet any of those terms, they're, they're pay, pay, paying a, a billion. Um, and yeah, it, so the I believe the company was worth uh, $20 billion and they, they took $6 billion of Shaw's debt as well. So that's what that got us, that 26 total. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, and basically, but it's important to note that in the short term, nothing changes. We have yet to learn how long it will take Rogers to take over Shaw's assets. An excellent summary of the uh, 21 conditions that the industry minister has imposed is in the show notes on item number 10. At the show notes.ca, you go into your address bar to input that, not the search. Yes. Uh, so, uh, okay, here's Alan. We had a little trouble connecting to him all the way in Hawaii, but uh, aloha, Alan. Aloha, guys. I'm just awake, so bear with me if I'm not brilliant this morning. Thanks for being there for me. Yeah, thank You're you. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me. What's it's uh, beautiful so, weather here. Oh, yes? You've had, you've had a good stretch there? Yeah, I was hiking and exploring. Yeah, just swimming two or three times a day, hiking, exploring. The, reason, the only reason I'm up early, other than I'm honored to join you guys, is uh, friends just arrived from Victoria, and I'm going to take uh, Tony up hiking Diamond Head. So half an hour after this, because you have to go up before it gets hot for people, but no diamond head. So that should be awesome. Yes. That would be amazing. Uh, I've got the Verizon. One of the things I want to mention, you and I, Brian, and I think how you may mention as well, for people coming to the United States, a great way to stay connected is to use the free Verizon test drive. Oh, yes. And so Suzanne and I did that. And then when our friends Sharon and Tony arrived, we spent the time and connected them as well. It's it's a it's a really great service. A hundred gigabytes of data, and then unlimited calling and texting. The only catch, and the reason I'm calling you via Skype, is because it does not include calling to Canada. Anywhere mm. in the U.S., incoming calls from anywhere in the world, okay. but no calls to Canada. So that's the only catch. But it takes about maybe four minutes to set up, and you obviously need Wi-Fi. To do the setup, you get the test drive app, you put in your name, you put in your current phone number, and then it literally, the little dial spins for like 45 seconds on each of the four or five steps. Okay. So it hasn't frozen. Now, That's a good thing to know. Notes, we put a particular, Definitely. Yeah. We put a handout in the show notes for walking people through not so much the steps of doing the test drive, but what you do once you have your new 808 phone number so then people can reach you how you switch the settings on your phone to tell it which is your primary cell carrier. You switch it over from your Canadian one to your American. On an iPhone in particular, you go into send and receive address. So in the travel notes there. But that's not the reason. One check in. So obviously I go away and the minister goes and approves the Shaw Rogers deal. What do you guys think? Yeah, wow. I think, I mean, I'm glad we're here. <laughs> it's been dragged yeah. out for so long and we can actually start getting the terms like, you know, we've been we've been dying to figure out what the terms are actually going to be and how it's going to ha- affect consumers. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's one big key one. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk out over no, talking one thing about Skype. Is there is a delay? So the one big one, the one one of the many pieces of the puzzle that is now answered, and it's a surprisingly good one for people who are on Shaw Mobile. They will be switched onto Rogers, and as one of the 21 conditions. Rogers has to not only honor the current rates, so people who are paying either 0 10 or $25 a month, they will continue to honor that, but they also must continue to offer that 
to new people for five years. That's, that is a good condition. That's a long time wow. in technology. Yeah, that is five and years. That's a long time. That's the whole refresh cycle. And they're not um, they're not slowing down that plan. I'm assuming that's one of the conditions too. Like they actually get access to the shot, the proper Rogers network. That's correct. They will go onto the Rogers 5G, 4G network, which That's in awesome. Greater Victoria is a more robust network as well, because there hasn't been much, if any, investment in tower maintenance or upgrades, because everyone thought this deal, or at least they thought this deal, was going to go through a year ago. So, so that's a really good sign. We don't know when the magic switch will get thrown, but that will come in the coming days. But that's a big deal. And the other one, Ryan and Kyle, is for people who are on currently on Freedom Mobile. Yes. You've been explaining some more details about that. Yes, the approval of the buyout of Shaw by Rogers will see your account transferred to the Quebec-based Videotron under their Fizz brand. Conditions on the deal include a 10% data boost and a 20% cut in rates. Great. So that matches the rates that people in Quebec pay under uh, Videotron Fizz. So... That means that Western Canada gets those same rates, and those have to be rolled out across Canada. And the other thing is that while Rogers will be providing the network initially for those parts of Canada where Videotron doesn't exist, i.e. everywhere except Quebec, the minister has put a condition on that Videotron must invest hundreds of millions of dollars within the next two years. I think it's $150 within the next two years to get their own network up and running in Western Canada. So we understood that Rogers had said, you can use our network for up to 10 years at a sweetheart deal, which is a subject of other stuff. But now they're saying, okay, but the minister's saying within two years, $150 million to do that. So those are two really good things for, for consumers. What the rest of it means, a lot of more details to be shaken out. And again, there's still lots of key things we don't know. What happens to Shaw Direct Satellite TV service? What happens to Shaw email? Oh, there's a lot of other details that we that we don't know that will presumably roll out in, in the coming days and weeks. Yes. What, so, what is your sense about uh, the effect for the consumers? Basically, every um, you know talking head I was able to um, you know reference yesterday was you know saying that this is a bad deal for consumers. You know, it's a it's a matter of a monopoly. It's it's reducing the field. Um, obviously, adding Videotron is, is adding that fourth provider that we're hoping is going to you know, stem more competition and coming in at lower rates. And Videotron is hailed for having done that um, out east. Um, what, what is your sense on you know, how consumers are being left off with all of this, Alan? Exactly. That's my take. The fact we get a fourth national carrier, and mm-hmm. they're going to be a fairly strong one because they come with a pre-existing subscriber base of Freedom Mobile in Western Canada, so it's up them to grow. The fact that their rates are going to be 20% lower than uh, the major players, if their service is good, both technically and when you need to contact them, that's going to be the challenge. But they inherit all the Freedom Mobile stores and employees. So that gives them a, you know, a good start out of the gate. So four carriers is better than three when that's it comes something. to nationals. So I think that's that's a good start. And the fact that the minister is putting some pretty severe penalties in there if Rogers and Videotron do not, if they materially, if they do not materially affect every one of the conditions, $25 million a year penalty for, uh, for Quebec or the owners of Videotron Fizz mm-hmm. and a uh, billion dollars, you know, $100 million 
for Rogers. So there's a pretty darn good incentive for them to to toe the the line on this. Definitely, and another three thousand jobs in Western Canada. Plus, uh, I, uh, I read, it doesn't say that they have Rogers has to move its headquarters to Western Canada. It just says there has to be a Western headquarters for Rogers with 3,000 jobs. So we'll, we'll see a lot of stuff yet to become, but at least we're no longer speculating about if and, and when. And yes. I know there will be some people that, that listen to us that thought that we, when we predicted when it first came out that this would happen, so I'm not gloating or anything, but, you know, the, the writing was on the wall. Yes, absolutely. I was always amazed um, the number of people that still said, yeah, no, no it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, what, where was I going to go with this? Nope. <laughs> Sorry, All I lost good. my train of thought there. Go ahead. Basically, yes, the, that Western headquarters you were mentioning is to be established in Calgary, and it must be maintained for a minimum of 10 years after the closing date of the deal. Yes, I'm assuming yeah, that's replacing that's Shaw, Shaw headquarters. 10 years. Yes, yeah, whether they take over the building and change the sign or what they do is up to that. The other thing about 10 years is the fact that as part of the license transfer that triggered the yes on all this yesterday, the Freedom Mobile licenses, that was the, the condition we were expecting, they cannot be transferred. So the licenses, when they switched to Videotron, Quebec or Fizz, they cannot then turn and flip them because they're high-quality frequencies. They cannot turn and flip them for 10 years. So we're heading in this path for the foreseeable future. It's not something they're going to wake up, you know, a year from now and find that so-and-so is being flipped to Company X from the United States or something. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. That is a good point. So the key thing for listeners is that nothing changes today or tomorrow or Monday. It's going to, we will get a timeline, presumably, from Rogers and from Videotron. But nothing changes, and even when it does change, our best read of everything is there's nothing you will have to do. You will be contacted by Rogers or by Videotron and told that you're going to get a new bill and it's going to look like this. But there's nothing that has to change in terms of equipment. There's nothing that you have to do in order to have your service. It will just happen, and then we'll, we'll get that timeline. So everybody relax. Yes, we don't like change, but in this case, if you're a Shaw customer or a Freedom Mobile customer, this change is good for your pocketbook, and especially it's good for the quality of service in the Greater Victoria area. Yes, exactly. Based on that point, too, uh, this will also increase the data allotments of existing Freedom Mobile customers by 10% as a near-term bonus while investing in bringing down the prices overall. That's not really a big deal because most Freedom Mobile customers are already on a 25-gig or in some cases, a 50-gig-a-month plan. Mm-hmm. They were not on these, these budget, you know, one-gig-a-month plans. So while that's nice, it's not really that huge a deal. Right. Yeah, I guess anything to have us heading in the other direction of shrinkflation here is, uh, is helpful. Yeah. Yeah, oh, exactly. by the way, totally unrelated to this, if you go look at the show notes down at the bottom, have oh, yes. back, put in a couple of photos, but I also put in one great discovery, thanks to a local here that told us about it, at the far end of Waikiki, as you get down towards Fort de Russie and Hilton, there's a little shack, literally a little shack, smaller than the size of the CFAX control room, which means nothing to anybody except <laughs> you guys. Um, and it's called the Steak Shack. Oh, yeah. And it's phenomenal. They, they make the steak, really nice, high-quality steak. They season it with teriyaki, whatever, and then they chop it up into bite-sized pieces, put it in a tray with uh, salad and rice, 
and you can see, I, I took a picture of it holding it in my hand with Diamond Head in the background, because you're literally right on the beach, literally right there, and, nice. and really great prices. Oh, yes, I recognize that beach, yeah. Okay, so Alan, so we've got a little just so under a minute here. Right yep. Before we go to the break, is there anything else you want to add before, uh, before we flip to the news? No, everything's uh, working really well here. As I say, the only thing about using the Verizon test drive, no calling back to Canada, so you need to use some other method to make actual phone calls. I'm using Skype to call you guys, but for anybody else, you can use WhatsApp or Signal or Messenger or FaceTime, whatever. You get really good data. Even though we're on the 5G network here, it's not. we are so lucky in Canada in terms of our speeds. They're really happy to have like 50 megs per second. Whereas we're, we're going, okay, 500 average. So anyway, yeah. there you go. thanks for being there, guys. Okay, thanks, Alan. Thank you. Take care. Enjoy, enjoy your time. Aloha. Enjoy Hawaii. Aloha. 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 Nui loa. Tech Talk with Alan Perry on CFAX 1070. Welcome back. So let's go over the terms of the uh, Rogers Shaw bio deal. Why not? Yeah, exactly. So this is uh, Brian and Kyle again filling in for Alan Perry. Uh, so yeah, we were just talking about the uh, you know some of the conditions and the things that are coming forth with the uh, the approved merger of um, or the buyout of of Shaw by Rogers. Uh, so here are those specific conditions. So um, Rogers accepted merger conditions. Uh, we'll have to create three thousand new jobs in Western Canada and man- maintain them for a minimum of ten years. It invests at least two point five billion to enhance its five G network in Western Canada, and three billion in an additional uh, network service expansion product projects. Um, they're going to expand uh, access to low cost broadcast, um, sorry, broadband internet plans, and launch a new low cost mobile offering for low income Canadians. Notice that is broadband. They're they're still talking about copper cables. Yeah, so they are. I'd like to, that to say optic. But uh, okay, it's something. Uh, we need more low-cost options for sure. Definitely, that's one hundred percent what we need. And then they also need to invest a hundred or hundred billion. Sorry, uh, or no, what am I saying? <laughs> one billion. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, to expand broadband internet access at speeds of at least fifty megabits up or uh, down and fit ten up yeah. uh, per second. And they need to have five uh, G mobile service in areas where it is not currently available. Great. That's one of the big things about Canada is we are we are so broad, and it could getting coverage right to the you know the edges sometimes is bad. Like you take a look at Souk and something, and how how hard it is to get coverage there. Exactly. Um, they uh, we had mentioned before that they will establish a Western headquarters in Calgary and maintain it for a minimum of ten years, and uh, they will report to the Innovation Science and Economic Department and the pu- and the public every year on specific progress it has made towards the commitments in the agreement. That's good. Transparency is key. Definitely. Yes, this agreement seems to have teeth. Um, They will offer wireless plans to Shaw Mobile consumers at Shaw's current prices for five years after deal close. Important one. Yeah, not not just grandfathered in, but you can still sign up for those plans and those prices. Exactly. And that's another key factor included in this deal. And they also need to pay $100 I had the 100 right this time. Yep. (laughs) uh, For every year in which any material element of this uh, commitment is not met. Okay, so that's the, that's what Rogers agreed to. Yes, that is Rogers' agreement. So uh, on the Videotron side, uh, they're going to offer plans that are comparable to those currently available in Quebec uh, and offer options at least 20% cheaper than that of the major players. Excellent. I, I'm glad that's a term. Uh, cannot transfer Freedom Mobile licenses for 10 years. Uh, expand its 5G network in Freedom Mobile's pre-existing territory within two years. That's what we talked about with Alan. Yes, definitely. Um, the That's accelerated key. pace of, of them actually expanding and not just piggybacking off of Rogers for <laughs> for 10 years and then selling the company. 
Um, yeah, exactly. That would not be a good idea. And so they will, yeah, and we also talked about the 10% data allotment increase. Yes. And then they also will expand mobile service into the Canadian provinces of Manitoba via the use of assigned uh, mobile, sorry, this is Videotron, um, yeah. a, a mobile video network operator agreement and offer plans comparable to uh, what it offers in Quebec. Yeah, so I'm not sure what the stance is in Manitoba, but I'm assuming they need better coverage. So I'm glad that there's, you know, a specific condition there. Uh, and then finally, they are, um, you know, on the block for $25 million for every year in which any material element of these commitments is not met. So I, I think these sound pretty good. And I'm, I'm with Alan that, like, you know, Shaw was doing, Video Tron Out East had done a fair bit to try to help lower rates. They're offering, you know, they're that, you know, good budget option. Shaw was doing the same thing out here. And so that was where we stood to really lose some of the ground we had gained in competition. Exactly. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne, um, you know, head of the innovation and, oh, I forget the name of the whole, uh, anyway, did an organization there, uh, uh, told reporters on Friday that he had secured unprecedented and legally binding commitments from the companies, which he would be watching like a hawk. Yeah, and that is key. And he's the Minister of Innovation, Science, and Industry. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, like I was saying, I could not find, I mean, I think you're going to notice that the news reporting on all of this has a very, you know, pessimistic bent on it. For example, uh, in response, NDP innovation critic Brian Mass said that Champagne, Champagne may be watching them like a hawk, but I mean, he's left Canadian consumers open to the buzzards. A bit dramatic, dramatic, I think. I, you know, I think they... I think this was bound to happen anyway. Shaw was not in the position to keep going, and they were getting out of the game. You, I, I don't know if they could have just so, said, too bad, you need to keep operating. Like, um, it made, and I think the conditions we've got are okay. Um, but, you know, continuing, continuing on that bent, uh, Open Media, a consumer watchdog group, calls the merger a dark day for the internet in Canada. Uh, their executive director, Laura Tribe, says the decision is the largest blow to telecommunications competition and affordability we've ever seen. Uh, and that it's a massive betrayal that's only made worse coming from a government that has long promised improved telecom affordability. Yeah, I, I'm often a pessimist, and I put on a lot of pressure, and I think the internet needs to change, and we need to, legislation needs to catch up with technology. But I, I think this is a bit, a bit of a pessimistic take if we're going to, you know. Anyway, what's, yeah. what's your sense on this, Kyle? My sense on this is that it is definitely good that we're getting the Videotron spread out to more of Canada outside of just Quebec so that we don't lose the fourth player in the field technically. So yep. that is a good uh, thing on it. And as you say, definitely a lot of the media has been negative on this. I read a few weeks back when Reuters was reporting on this, they said that Canada has the highest telecom prices in the world yep. and that this deal would be bad for consumers. Yeah. Is another example of the media coverage around this. And that's international. Yes, yeah, that's recognized internationally. Um, but I, th I don't know. I don't know what else I expected in terms of these conditions, like uh, in you know enabling Videotron and setting them up well, and f you know getting Rogers to actually support them in becoming a competitor is a is a nice thing. It is definitely. So uh, and more competition is always good. Otherwise, it becomes stagnant. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so you're going to be hearing a lot from us over the coming weeks as we get more of the details from both Shaw and Rogers and Videotron, uh, about, which, you know, out here will be called Fizz, which is the worst name 
I, I think. It's an interesting name. Uh, yeah. You might have problems searching it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, you're going to hear as we get more of the details, like Alan said, what's going to happen to the email accounts. There wasn't a condition saying that they had to continue supporting those email accounts. I think that was a small fry in terms of the times of things, the types of things they were looking at. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, there'll be more on that on the coming weeks. And like Alan said, nothing to stress about right now. Just, no. Just, just keep an ear out and we'll, and we'll let you know as, as things progress. Exactly. And your provider will reach out to you to tell you what's happening and what's going to happen to your account and that sort of thing. Yes. It seems like it will generally be seamless. Yeah. That's the hope. Okay. Uh, we're going to throw to commercial break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Tech Talk on CFAX 1070. Filling in for Alan is Kyle Wilson, and I'm joined by... I'm Brian Pavlich, it's your Tech Talk producer. Awesome. So we've taken a look at the email here. We got one in from Ron, yep. and he sent us a screenshot that he was wondering about that is from his iPhone, and it tells him your current location has been... or can't be seen by the owner of this AirTag. This AirTag may be attached to an item you were borrowing. If this AirTag is not familiar to you, you can disable it and stop sharing your location. And what Ron mm. wrote was that he's in a high-rise and he quite often sees this appear when he's on a, like a walk. And oh. he can pause tracking notifications, but he doesn't see how to turn off like the notification for this yeah. alert showing up. And so... so this is part of that anti-stalking, the anti-stalking features that, um, you know, Apple has added to the AirTags, which I think is really important. It is. Uh, um, and so it's, you know, just to clarify what it's saying is like, we're noticing, you know, in your general vicinity, and it's continuing to be in your general facility, you know, we have an AirTag. So, that, you know, the example of this is like somebody's put it on your car or thrown it in your bag and they're trying to follow you until they can, who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From that point, who knows? So it's, this is notifying him that there's one that seems to be tracking with him. Um you know, and we've and we, and we were talking about this during the break, and it will differentiate. Like, if you're with your friend and they have an AirTag with them, it's it's owned close by to it. Yes, it's owned by them, and it's close to them, and it won't it won't then give people around them a notification that it's walking with them because it's no, knows it's with its owner. But this, but when you get this notification, what it's assuming is that the the person who's tracking this AirTag is not there, and it seems to be moving with you. Yes, which is definitely a. Uh, concern around stalking, and I'm glad that they did add this in. This came in, I think, a year ago or somewhere around there. Yeah, very um, early on. Yeah, it, it's very good that they added this in. But basically, what you can do, Ron, is you can go ahead and pause uh, tracking notifications, so you can pause the AirTag being able to follow you. Yeah, uh, and yes, maybe yep. take a look around. Like again, this could be totally innocuous. It could be like an AirTag in like a park or something like that that just is somebody lost. And yeah. it could be there, but and you just happen to be around it enough that it's like, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's a problem here. But right. maybe just take a look if you walk with a bag or something. Just take a look. Just make sure everything's good. Yeah, it's very interesting that he says it comes up regularly. Yes. Um, I wonder if it's, yeah, I'd love to, you know, I have so many more questions for him. Like, is it a specific area? Like, what are the conditions that you're in? Is it, are you passing by a specific apartment or something? Um, but yeah, it's just there's pausing plenty it. of ways way this to could be innocuous. Uh, yes. Like so, I wouldn't necessarily jump immediately to like this is stalking you. Mm-hmm. It's just something to definitely take a look around, just try to figure out, you know, like what is, uh, you know, is there just a random air tag that is around? There Maybe may take like, a look. Um, you know, they have pet collar attachments for the air tags. Like somebody oh, that yes, you walk the true. same way as you regularly may just have it on their pet, and then you know, coincidentally, you end up doing a segment together enough that it triggers the following. You yeah. Know, indicator. Yeah, that could. So there are plenty of ways this could be innocuous, not to be alarmist or jump anybody to any harmful conclusions. Yeah. But 
it's definitely a good safety feature and you want to look into that more, Ron. So uh, I don't know about disabling it. I don't know, maybe, yeah. I don't know if that's in the settings, if you've come across that, if you could say like, look, I don't care. I, I, there's no way I care about somebody's docking me. If you, you can turn also, it off. But you can turn off the ability for that AirTag to track you. Oh, yes. And I believe that is become, the option. Right, right. There's not a specific one where he can say, I don't want this notification anymore. This seems to be an ongoing issue. Um, maybe we'll, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll look into that in the break and we can follow up if there's a specific way that you can just, you can just stop it if it se- the system seems to be bugged for whatever reason. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to look into that and we'll get back to you on that. Um, okay, let's see. So we had a, okay, to the show notes, sorry, uh, to the homework videos. Uh, we have an interesting one here talking about how Hollywood, and this is super interesting. I didn't realize this. Um, well, actually, I'm not going to, I'll let the clip speak for itself here. So this is about how Hollywood has been, uh, has a trend to filming night scenes during the day. Which is very counterintuitive, but uh, they make it work. There's a cool thing happening in this scene in Jordan Peele's note. You may notice it starts out pretty dark, then slowly gets brighter. Here, you can't see the logo on OJ's hat, but two minutes later, in a nearly identical shot, you can. It's an incredibly subtle trick that cinematographer Hoyta Van Hoytema used to emulate how our eyes naturally respond to darkness. We build up a sort of fades in that are very slow, but that simulate very much your pupil dilations. But what makes this subtle trick possible is that this nighttime scene was shot in the daytime. Day for night is a technique Hollywood has used for years. We lost the play. But it hasn't always produced convincing results or clearly visible ones, as seen in shows like House of the Dragon. So how did Hollywood get to this point? Here you might be wondering, why wouldn't filmmakers just film their nighttime scenes at night? <laughs> and in reality, many do, taking advantage of artificial lighting and today's more sensitive digital camera sensors. But neither modern digital camera sensors nor traditional film have the sensitivity of the human eye in low light scenarios. That means that often when night scenes are filmed in natural lighting conditions, very little of the shot is visible. This is why Hollywood often films what's called day for night, shooting nighttime scenes in daylight and using cinematic techniques to create the illusion of darkness. Francois Truffaut even paid homage to the technique in a movie called Day for Night. Exactly. It's quite cool. You'll have to watch the video. It's item number 41. Sorry. It's item number 41 in the homework videos. Uh, You'll have to watch the video to to fully appreciate this, but it is absolutely amazing how they can take shots that are shot in broad daylight and have it it make you think that it's the middle of the night. Yeah, absolutely. There's a bunch of shots in there from, you know, big things, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, uh, Nope. All these, it, that was the coolest part about this video, and it didn't work on radio, is seeing the swipe pan um, or the swipe transition between the daytime and what they made it look like. Uh, and it's and just how much stunning. They that. And, yeah. and that's how they're able to totally control all these elements of things instead of just shooting at night, which is still common. They still do that. Mm-hmm. But it allows the cameras to pick up so much more detail to shoot in daylight. Yeah, otherwise I think it requires... I mean, it, it, you end up getting a weird shot because cameras can just not see the range that our eyes can see. They, it's just not like the amount that our pupils can dilate to experience night, um, you know, the way we do. Uh, <laughs> I'm losing my train of thought over the place this morning. Um, but, All good. <laughs> All good. But <laughs> oh yeah, it's just absolutely stunning. Here. And the sensitivity of the cameras uh, just isn't as great in low light. 
as the human eye is. And so we're basically able to fix that by, well, let's shoot in the best conditions that the cameras like. Daylight. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll actually make it look like night. And, and they showed other clips in there, too, of the way that it used to be done, where it looks pretty fake, mm-hmm. admittedly, in the early days of how they would shoot stuff like this and make it look like night. And the sky typically gives it away as the video goes on to talk about. But it's stunning how they've been able to do it now and how they can replace the sky. And they can even just go back and they'll return to the location at night and they'll just shoot. Uh, the same shot, nobody's there, but they'll yeah. just shoot it just to get the sky or just to get like the background lights or whatever. Oh, yes. And then they'll superimpose it in post. Okay. Or even as reference. Or as reference to, to, yeah. to like, create it separately. It's, it's really cool. I'd highly recommend checking it out. It's about a 10 minute long video, but it's worth the watch. Yeah. Yeah, very cool one. What was, uh, there was another video we were going to tease there. Yes, Ryan George. Oh, <laughs> okay. We're going to close out the show with that one. Yeah. We had a good laugh at that one this that morning. That was pretty funny. This is a, a YouTube uh, skit comedian guy that's, uh, do you know, do you know Ryan or you just follow Ryan? I don't know him, but okay. I do follow him. His content is quite funny. He's, we've had his content featured on uh show on tech talk as well in the past yes. but this is his latest one and just teasing it a bit he thought like mm, what would it be like uh, for the first person who ever invented a taxi when nobody had heard of the idea of a taxi or the concept period and it, it's a pretty funny interaction but we'll get to that at the end of the show Okay, uh, so we're going to do our, our last break for this hour. Uh, now's a good time if you want to fit in a quick call um, before we go to the top of the hour news uh, and we'll be back in a moment Welcome back to Tech Talk on CFAX 1070. And thank you for joining us on this Saturday, or if you're listening to rebroadcast, Sunday. So we've got a lot of other homework videos in there that'll be awesome for, or that I think people will find interesting. Uh, Tom Scott, who's a British content creator who we've uh, mentioned in the past and does a lot of interesting uh, content and videos and sort of mini documentaries. And he's also a linguist by training and he's done a lot of stuff in the English language, which is really cool in different languages and how it came to be what it is today. Yes. He went to Tokyo and uh, he also turned around and... Oh, that video got lost out here. But anyways, uh, there we go. He went into basically a parking garage in Tokyo because they have totally automated parking garages there. Oh, yes. And so that no people are needed. And so basically you drive your vehicle in, you get out, it locks it in, it pulls it into this structure, like this one small building, and yep. it goes underground. Yep. And then it can basically filter your car around with like a robot or spin it around whatever it needs to do and put it in a spot. And so, like, it's just a whole bunch of cars, like, on shelves, basically. Just stacked. Yeah, like, totally and, efficient, no lanes. It just needs enough space to, to shelf it. <laughs> yep, it just needs, basically, it's got a rotating, like, tabletop, basically, that it then just puts the car on and just pushes it on or pulls it off. Mm-hmm. It, it's very cool. And so he went in it, because normally there's no humans allowed in there. And oh, normally yes. the lights are off, because it's underground. Oh, sure. And they have no reason to have lights on, because nobody's there. It's just a computer doing its thing. It doesn't need light like we do. And so, basically, we or it's pretty cool, because then he goes into a special area there that they've set him up, where he's got this one area that he's allowed to stand, and then they attach GoPros to the cars, and then you get to see it go all the way through the whole process, in and out. And then they also, the company that he was that allowed him to come see this in Tokyo has an above-ground concept for electric vehicles because normally you have to plug those in. And so he's wondering, well, how would that work? And so basically they've created a concept above-ground this time, but, it could, but there's no reason it has to be above-ground. It could be below-ground. Where basically you plug your vehicle into the platform and then the computer, like smart, basically it, it goes through the same process as, as the other one. And then you get to the platform and the computer negotiates with it to make sure that it's got the same power that it needs. And it just seamlessly transfers it over onto the stand. 
And so then it's like the same idea, but for electric cars. And yep. right now that one's more of a concept. The other is actually in production. This one's like an above ground demo concept model that he also got to climb into and watch. And they had GoPros around it. And it was really cool. I would highly, highly recommend watching that one. That one is number 43. I can't wait to see, uh, you know, automated electric cars just driving into their factory and stacking them, and then they pour out during rush hour as needed, and then they put them back away. Uh, yeah, That's basically this concept, more or less. I'm excited about this. Uh, it's so very cool. We've got Marie on the phone. She had a question about uh, the one of the latest uh, Tech Talk episodes. Um, I have an iPad. Yes. And I, I think that you know that I'm practically blind, but I can see certain things. Mm-hmm. And I'm tr- desperately trying to get the show on my iPad. Okay. And Alan came here and he said to me, well, you have to pick out from the list which show it is. Now, what's happened is that my, my, um, my screen is now showing podcasts mm-hmm. at the top and library at the bottom. And I've tried everything, and I cannot get this list of shows that I should be, you know, choosing today's date from to make it work. I don't know what's going on. Okay. We're just hitting the news break here, but thank you for queuing us up here with your question. Uh, I'm just going to put you back on hold, and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll find the solution for that when we come back. Tech Talk with Alan Perry on CFAX 1070. Welcome back to the April 1st and 2nd edition of Tech Talk for 2023. I'm Kyle Wilson, filling in for Alan Perry, who's escaped to Hawaii for a few days. I'm a Colwood-based IT specialist and tech editor for Business Insider. Hi, and I'm Brian Pavicic, your Tech Talk producer, uh, back from my paternity leave to fill in for the day with Kyle. And we're live on Saturday morning. If you're listening on Saturday afternoon, or Sunday afternoon, sorry, uh, you can hear a rebroadcast from yesterday. And if you can't catch all the show on the air, Brian will upload a podcast once the show's over. If it's Saturday morning, you can text us at 107010. Please include your first name at the end of your text. It really helps us to be able to address you and respond to you. And you can also phone into Tech Talk at 250-386-1161 or on a smartphone, you can call star 1070. Uh, there's also our email address at techtalk at cfax1070.com. Uh, speaking about following up from the text, uh, Ron, who uh, texted us about uh, getting the tracking notifications on it from an AirTag that seemed to be in his proximity, um, he, he phoned in during the break to follow up because we had kind of like, you know, sparked some ideas and he seems to have sleuthed it. Um, he's, I think he's, I, I couldn't see the um, text that he sent you, but I guess he included the, did you get the image? Yes, the image of the uh, the alert. Yes, we were yeah. reading off of that. So it was. He was saying we show it shows a part of the path that it walks, and that you know sparked an idea with him. Uh, and there is a part a person that he walks with in another building that he meets. Um, oh. And this seems like that lines up with the segment that they walk. So either they they might have an air tag, but they don't have their phone, or um, you know they their daughter might have an air tag with, on the person or a pet or something like that. So he's you know he said he's going to ask his friend next time he see, sees them. And yeah, because that, that would make total sense. And as we were saying. Seeing that alert doesn't, you don't need to jump to the conclusion that you're being stalked or something or somebody's trying to, that right. it could have a totally innocuous ex- example, you know, like a reason why that's happening. Yes, exactly. I, it seems As like he solved it. I'd be interested, Ron, if you want to let us know um, uh, next week. Uh, I guess I won't be here, but uh, yeah, follow up. That'd be interesting, yeah, interesting to see if, if you figured it out. Um, yeah, I, like you were saying, I'm glad it has that um, that feature just in case those those few few examples where it could be used for stalking, I mean, really, it's gonna. This is preventative. Yes. Um, and so the fact that it will do this will stop people from using it as a stalking device. Precisely. 
So that's the whole point, definitely. Uh, and then just before we went, to the, so in a moment we're going to go with uh, speak with our guest Chet, who's queued up here. But we just want to quickly follow up with Marie, who's having a problem getting the Tech Talk podcast episodes to show up in your on the iPad. And I believe you said you were in the podcast app on your iPad, like so the Apple podcast um, app. Well, on my screen it shows you know the a small screen down the left. And um, it lists podcasts and um, libraries and a whole bunch of things. Mm -hmm. And then on the larger part of my screen, it's showing latest episodes. But it goes, it only starts at March 25th. Oh. It it doesn't show me a recent one. And even if I look at the bottom of the screen where it talks, get tech talk, it's the same problem. It's going back to February. So Alan came and he said, well, you... You know, you have to press this thing, and I think it's what he showed me was under library. Yep. Um, it said shows. Exactly. And then that little list of shows would pop up on that smaller screen. Perfect. Yeah, you're right on track there. And I could choose it. But what's happening is nothing is happening. I'm not getting any little list coming up. I can't do anything. And I've gone to the um, little... Um, um, tiny little screen thing opposite edit to see if I could redo something, and mm-hmm. nothing is happening. And the thing is, it's it's flipped around. The podcast used to be at the bottom of the small screen, and the library was at top. So I don't even know if that makes a difference. But I'm choosing from the library, but nothing will come up. Okay, so when you uh, where you're when you're on the library tab in your podcast app. Uh, yep. You see, you know, the he- library heading at the top, and then it says like shows saved, downloaded. Is that are those the um, the tabs you see? Okay, it's the library, and then it's got um, um, uh, recently updated shows, oh, yeah. yep. and then download. Okay, okay. So you you maybe have some of the sections uh, edited out there, uh, and so when you sick, well, so so recently updated, you do see the March twenty fifth episode for us. Uh, no, I don't get any kind of a list with the okay uh, at all. <laughs> okay, so now if you click on shows, um, you should see a list of your subscribed shows. Yeah, well, I don't get that. What okay, do you, what, so there's yeah. nothing there. What do you nothing see? Shows? Yeah, what do you see under the shows heading? There's nothing. It just lights up in purple, and yep. nothing comes up. So it sounds like you might not be subscribed to the show anymore. It might have. I mean, software does glitch sometimes. It could have unsubscribed you. So what you could do is you could go well, and... Well, Alan gave me um, an, um, a special... What's it called? I'm sorry. I'm really old, so I forget sometimes. Okay. But he gave me um, you know, a place to hit on my iPad that would bring up the Tech Talk oh, show. He made you a short, shortcut, sounds like. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's like having a little app or something. Yep. And he did that for me, and I, that's how I go on to the show. But then I get to that point, and I don't have anything that comes up to choose the right show from. So we would... Like today. Yeah. The, so we wouldn't go... I, I won't go through with you now about like changing that shortcut. Maybe that shortcut is broken, and maybe, maybe you weren't actually subscribed, and it was just a shortcut to take you to the show. Um, but on the bottom of the um, podcast app on your iPad, you should have a search bar. Uh, and if you search Tech Talk with Alan... Um, will be the first result there. And then once you're viewing the show, um, there's the check. There's the checkbox in the podcast app? It's follow, I believe. Oh, follow, yes. Uh, and then once you're following us, um, we'll show up in that list and shows. And then when you click on the show, 
you'll just see um, in chronological order all the latest episodes. Okay, now where are you telling me to go to find this search box? Uh, so bottom uh, right, yeah, I believe. Should it be should bottom be. right. Well, I don't see a search box. What I shows on my main screen is this um, podcast, etc., to the left, and then it's got shows with a picture of Alan, and that's outdated. It's an old one, and then at the bottom, it's got this small, um, small screen with mm-hmm. an arrow to turn it on, and that's that's. That's it. So I don't so have a search So where box. it says, where you see the, it's the picture of Alan and, and there's an episode uh, somewhere underneath in that little tab. It should say Tech Talk with Alan Perry and it, I, it'll, I think it usually highlights it in purple. Uh, no, it doesn't go purple. But anyway, it does have February the 20th Tech Talk with Alan Perry and an arrow to turn it on. I mean, you know, it's got the... The play. The yeah. play arrow. Play button. Yeah. Play arrow. But, I mean, it's outdated and I... I can't find today's show. So if you click on the title of the... So it'll say, like, the episode and the blurb, and then it should say underneath somewhere on that episode, you know, on the little icon you're seeing with the details of that episode, even that February one, When you, if you click on the name of the podcast, it'll jump you to the main page for our podcast, and there you'll be able to hit follow. Just a minute. I'm sorry, but you've lost me. So this small one that's got the wrong date, but I, I start that... Sure, or just uh, click on it so that it podcast. to open it. Okay, all right. Adam Driver and an ad for Squarespace. Snoop Dogg so, and Martha Stewart. Sure. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay, so now do you see? So, where do you see the title of the podcast under the episode name? So, like, if you're viewing, it'll say like Tech Talk March 25th or February, and under directly under it, it'll say Tech Talk with Alan Perry. If you click on that, it'll take you to the page for the show, uh, and you can subscribe again. And they come and say no. We're a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm such a... Sure. No, that's okay. okay. Let's, uh... It's got episode... The screen came up that said episode notes. Sure. And the show, and again, it's it's January 23rd on the, on the top of the list. Okay, it's so, a bit further back there. So, okay, let's, uh... Let's. I'll follow up with you in the break here, Marie. Um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I so understand. we got because we've, we've got uh, we've got Chet on the line here, queued up. Um, how are we doing? Okay. Yeah. No. Let's introduce Chet before our first break here. So I'm going to put you on hold, Marie. Hang hang in there. That's fine. Uh, That's fine. And, and we'll Thank and we'll you. follow up. We'll figure out what's going on there. Okay. So uh, thanks for hanging there with us, Chet. Uh, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Hello. How's it going this morning? Excellent. Going Thank good. You. So nice glad to you have you on. Could join us. Yeah. And just for everyone listening, uh, Chet is a friend of mine who is a retired intel and cyber threat analyst for the United States Air Force. Since leaving the Air Force, he has served as the chief security officer for a multinational investment firm and co-founded an advisory firm relating to tech in the Web3 space. He has also interviewed people ranging from Elon Musk to Anthony Scaramucci to Hunter Biden, among others. Wow, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good resume there, Chet. Uh, it's been quite the run. Yes, it has. <laughs> and and following, uh the the thing that makes me feel so at home with a, a show like this um, is is before I even ended up where I am now and interviewing you know speaking with high profile individuals like that. Um, I started out as a you know a lowly tech geek who just loved pulling apart equipment and putting it back uh, together when I was like fourteen, fifteen years old. Amazing. Uh, and breaking something, break it right. So this has all been inside of my uh, forte for quite a while. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Awesome. Good to know. I think a lot of us can relate to that, especially those of us in tech. Yeah, definitely. You always got to pull it apart and figure out how it works and try to put it back together and hope it works. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I find the more hard of breaking, the less you 
uh, capable of fixing it later on. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we've got uh, just a little bit before the, for our first break there, but um, one of the things we want to talk to you about is are these hacks of popular YouTube accounts. Um, so why don't we jump into that one first um, before the break, and then uh, we, we're, we're pretty excited to talk to you about um, advancements in AI. Definitely. So with the popular YouTube channel Linus Tech Tips and other related channels have been hacked and began re- uh, streaming cryptocurrency scams. And after YouTube was notified, the channels were successfully recovered by YouTube and returned to the rightful holders. This is the latest in a series of high-profile instances of the popular scam method. And basically, as you'll know, Chet, uh, this one in particular is a stream of Elon Musk that really did happen. But in the description, it will be like, uh, go to this link, I'm Elon Musk. And then if you go there, it will claim to double your money if you send them cryptocurrency. Well, and it's a, it's a concerning uh, paradigm that we, and a pattern that we continue to see happen in the crypto sphere. I mean, of course, any sort of new technology like this, you're going to see uh, a lot of bad actors come into it to try to take advantage of the people that have no idea uh, of how it functions. And they just see numbers go up, right? And so they're like, I'm just going to jump into this the Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? And they're, um, they're easily fooled. Um, and the biggest issue with crypto is it doesn't provide you those, those good protections that you get from a bank uh, that are going to say, hey, we can draw back that transaction, if it's fraudulent or anything like that, you're, you're lost uh, entirely, and you can lose all of your funds if you do it the wrong way. Yep. And one of the ways done, um, if any of you all remember, um, the uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and the uh, FTX collapse uh, that, uh, that happened, which was a major uh, case of wire fraud, international fraud. He was the man who was arrested on the Bahamas and then brought to the United States. He's currently, of course, on bail. Um, and he's been now arrested or charged with uh, bribing Chinese officials and all this other stuff. But there was actually a video of Sam Bankman-Fried uh, out there uh, right after the FTX collapse had happened. And it was done using uh, deepfake slash AI technology, which actually will come on to you know, what we'll talk about later as well. But um, it, it sounded just like him. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, was, it was using one of the videos from when he had been in his office place and he had given interviews, and he was telling people in this deepfake to go to a certain website um, that they would get all of their money back. Um, and you can imagine, probably was successful for quite a lot of people. So there's, there's a lot of risks when it comes to these sort of things, and it's quite prevalent um, across uh, the space. It's quite dangerous, definitely. It's absolutely wild that they do this. And obviously, nobody who is guaranteeing you that they can double your money or double your holdings in cryptocurrency, that's a scam. They cannot guarantee you anything like that ever. Yeah. Run away anytime you hear anything like that. Um, first of all, they're, 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 uh, they're violating many different securities laws by saying that a cryptocurrency can go up in the first place and telling you to buy into it. Um, but uh, uh, they're supposed to be seen as a commodity. And if anyone's telling you that they're supposed to go to the moon or anything like that, yeah, just stay away from that. Are you, uh, can I ask, are you an investor in that space? I am, actually. I, uh, I've been in the Web3 space, as they call it, uh, yeah. you know, that, which is the idea of right own and, and, and crypto um, for quite a while now. In fact, that was one of the, uh, the prior firms I was advising for as a chief security officer there. Um, and, and, and it's because, realistically speaking, in this space, there's not a lot of the cyber security that we all come to know and love on this side of the tech field um, in the Web3 space yet. If you go to a lot of Web3 firms, uh, they don't know how to put in proper, let's say, intranets, you know, uh, to make sure that their, their, their data is being stored on their own internal exchange servers or anything like that. And they'll even make uh, giant transactional details and, and, and uh, you know, private transactions over WhatsApp, you know, <laughs> and, and very unsuspecting. Yeah, that's uh, so it's wild. Concerning, concerning my background and then working in that and to see that all across the space. 
so that might bring us to another point here. Um, we're going to go to the break, but uh, when we come back, I'll ask you about the Microsoft Security Copilot, uh, which is an AI-fueled uh, tool uh, for organizations to, you know, increase their abilities to, no, increase their security abilities, basically. Yes, there's a lot of beautiful things that that can uh, bring to the space. And I actually went into some of the stuff that I used to do for the Air Force as well. So, yeah, I'd love to talk on that. Okay. Awesome. Uh, we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Tech Talk. And I'm Kyle Wilson, filling in for Alan Perry, and I'm joined by... Brian Pavlicic, and, and, and we've got uh, Chad on the line here. Yes, he's a retired Intel and Cyber Threat Analyst for United States Air Force. There you go, Jet. You're up. Hello, hello. Good to be back. So we were just, uh, just before the break there, we were talking about um, the new advancements in AI in terms of, uh, in terms of security and what uh, Microsoft is doing uh, going forward with their, uh, I mean, the name of the bot. I just, <laughs> I, I just moved it off the screen here. Oh, yeah, simple. Microsoft Security Copilot. That's the new one. Yes, yes. Uh, I think this will have a lot of great uh, impacts uh, when you really think about it, just due to the fact that um, code obfuscation, which is one of the reasons why they're doing this. Code obfuscation is one of the issues we ran into when trying to uh, even approve new codes for some of the softwares we would use on our classified equipment inside of the, uh, the Air Force and the Intel side. Um, and you can imagine there's a lot of processes that have to go through that. It takes quite a lot of time, uh, actually, to have um, some of those softwares approved for use because of how long it takes to look through some of the complexities of those codes and to make sure that even sometimes uh, some codes will be put together in ways where, let's say, you have one software, one application, and you have another software, another application, um, but they're very, they're set for very specific types of mission sets. Okay. Um, sometimes the way that they're created and you put them on the same platform on the same machine, you'll, you'll, you'll end up with uh, uh, vulnerability holes that you didn't anticipate because of some of the codes that are in there that you didn't check, whereas AI... Being able to come in here now, uh, you know, with ChatGPT, even the 3.5 Turbo version was really good at this. Um, and and, and if you, can, you can use Bing, which has a kind of migrated version of ChatGPT. All of them are very, very good at uh, creating code, at uh, checking code for errors, at seeing what the code is actually trying to do. Exactly. We've Chet and I also did uh, something on this where he had it write a Python script, and I reviewed it. And other than making a few minor issues with a few minor errors, it it would have functioned. It it actually did a pretty good job on it. And just for the benefit of the listener, obfuscation is like where you deliberately try to hide the intent of the code and what it is trying to do. It is mm -hmm. commonly used for scams to trick antivirus software so that they can't tell what the code actually is sure. doing. Like you have to, unless you read every step in the function, if you just give the function confusing names... And also confusing variables, and maybe you write it in not uh, ASCII, which is like text. Maybe you write it in base 8 or base 64 or some other numbering system. And so then it's just pages of gibberish. And wow. so they basically try to make it as difficult as possible to read what it's doing. And it's designed to make your head spin. And so the fact that the AI now can actually go in there and de-obfuscate it and make it readable yep. is amazing. Yes, it's, it's like having a, a translator for code that's able to, uh, to be at the max native level proficiency, uh, regardless of the, of the programming language, which is the, the key critical component to the way these large uh, language models work, is that you can train them for any code base. Um, and if you train them up against all the code bases, you can imagine, of course, uh, keep in mind that what we see here on the unclassified world here in Canada and the United States um, is is going to be much more restrained than already uh, governments already have access to with these sorts of technologies. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised 
if if uh, there's already factions within the Five Eyes, you know, Canada, United Kingdom, uh, United States, New Zealand, etc., that uh, where we're, we're expecting to see uh, or where it's already happening uh, behind the scenes is that they are already being used for this purpose. Well, yeah, super handy to be able to translate that. Like the amount of skill and like number of languages someone might have to know to be able, and the just the the person hours to have to scan exactly. through this code. Whereas this can bring, you know, bring right up to the front any of the suspicious things. It would make it way easier for security professionals and and techies and stuff like that, and just even your antivirus software, for example, if it became somehow integrated with that at some point in the future, to be able to actually read this. And so it's basically Microsoft is trying to get one step ahead of the, or a couple steps ahead of the attackers, basically. <clears throat> and, and there was, the, I believe I was talking with you about this, Kyle, at one point, that I think there's a, you know, you can draw the logical conclusion that eventually AI is able to fill up all of the different, uh, different servers and connections that, that uh, take, make it possible for us to be able to access the web, whether it be domain names, servers, or Active Directory, and all those other things. Uh, AI is going to end up being a critical piece in, inside of all of those. And if you imagine that almost every node across these networks, and, and then we even have smart routers already, and then you add AI to those smart routers, mm. uh, eventually it's going to be pretty impossible to, to, for bad actors to hack through networks at all if, if it's implemented properly. Which would be very good if it's implemented properly. That's the, that's the key stipulation, but, but that would be very good. And so, the, and this AI, you know, essentially has its finger on the pulse. Whenever there's a known vulnerability or a known style of attack or something, it's made aware, and it can so easily scan the system for anything resembling that vulnerability or, or as as such. Yeah, exactly. That that's really cool, definitely. And so we also, yeah, and that's how they want to go one step ahead of them. And there'll be Microsoft Security Copilot. It's uh, just been announced. It'll be pretty interesting to see how it rolls out and if it ends up on the consumer side, which would be awesome. And so this is a um, like a security officer tool. This is not something the average consumer is going to be using, um, but it's just going to mean that security, you know, on the broader, for businesses and, you know, on this, in this huge other sense is going to be... It can make everyone safer, level. though. Yeah, Even yeah. if it's not Although, something a consumer is directly using. I would imagine that they're going to put this into Windows Defender eventually. Oh, yes. Yeah. I could see that, too, and then that would be deployed to... Uh, the average person. Oh yeah, and that yeah, just your interface might be different than it is right now, where it's tailored towards a security officer. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It would be pretty cool, definitely. And then we also were talking about the Chet and I about the Microsoft how they patch the Acropolis, as they call it, which is Apocalypse, but with crop. It's a play on words. We'll get back to that after the break. Tech Talk with Alan Perry on CFAX 1070. Welcome back to Tech Talk. I'm Kyle Wilson, filling in for Alan Perry, who's away in Hawaii, enjoying himself. And I'm joined today by... I'm Brian Pavlicic, your Tech Talk producer. And on the phone, we have uh, Chet, who's a friend of mine, a retired intel and cyber threat analyst for the U.S. Air Force. Well, hello. And as we left off, we were going to get into um, uh, the Acropolis. Yes, which is Apocalypse, but if you just shove the word crop in there and it'll make sense in a second but acropolis it's a clever play on words basically it allowed bad actors to recover edited portions of screenshots if they were done in windows 10 or 11 which is not exactly a great vulnerability but they discovered it and they patched it within about a week and so that patch has been sent out and that'll be in your latest microsoft windows update so that's definitely something to update creative name for a, uh, a security patch I've heard yet out of Microsoft in all my years of uh, looking at security patches. I like it a lot. I like yeah. it a lot. 
So basically, this was something someone might have cropped out sensitive information to send something, a snippet to somebody, and then they were able to actually expand the back to the original image and see what, yes, what they a, were trying to Yes, it was a glitch out. or a bug in, micro, in the Windows operating system where it didn't actually ditch or throw out all that information that was cropped out. It just didn't have it viewable. Which it granted, not a lot of people are affected apparently, yep. but at the same time, it's still something that is good that they found and patched. And they gave it a very clever name. Right. Were there any cases uh, that you guys know of where that you know that some information was obtained and you know they were the bad actor was able to do something with that information, or was this just they they kind of nipped it in the bud? As far as I know, they more or less nipped it in the bud to a certain extent, uh, but it wouldn't let them recover portions of screenshots, which is not good, you know, personal information. Uh, it affected both the Snip and Sketch app on Windows 10 and the oh, yeah. Snipping tool on Windows 11, but it only applied to images created in a very specific set of steps. So the odds uh. of it actually being impacted were odds are pretty low, but basically you had to take it, save it, edit it, and then save over the original file again. And okay. it would basically, and then all the information uh, would still be there. And so it, it had a certain set of steps that had to be gone through to actually cause this to happen. Sure. But at the same time, it was still a very serious security hole that they've managed to patch. Yes. And this was a zero day, right? Did yes. They know and that means that nobody was aware of it uh, previously until it just hit the web. Ah. Was this uh, um, um, present just in the new code and the new updates they did, or did they find out that this was uh, present in older code? Admittedly, I don't have the details on that in front of me right now. Uh, but I, it just okay. says that Microsoft learned of the issue earlier this week, and that article is uh, dated from last week. So well, that's one of the interesting things about the zero days too is, and, and yet, which is you know, uh, codes and and, and uh, malicious intent abilities and capacities that are unaware until they're found. Um, is that uh, there's not a lot of statistics out there typically given to the general public about how often they're taken advantage of before they're uh, patched. Um, for, for a lot of reasons on that, but, uh, uh, you know, obviously the biggest one being business considerations. You know, you don't really want to come out there and say, yes, we had, you know, X, Y, Z amount of uh, hacks happen. Now, I do believe they do some security briefings to some of, like, enterprise individuals about these sorts of things. Okay. Um, but I you know, public doesn't really get that much of an insight into it, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. It's more business partners and governments that would get that sort of information out of them. Uh, but basically, the tool version uh, for snipping, it's, it's in the show notes. This is all on item number seven. And basically, in there, you can check your version, and it's a Verge article that has all the information about the update. I'm not going to read it out because it's just a long string of numbers. But <laughs> it wouldn't mean anything to anybody. But it's in there if you're curious. I love the window snipping tool. Definitely add it to your taskbar anytime. It's so easy to whoop, snip, cut something out and send it uh, and share it. Um, and I wanted to come back to, we were just talking about AI-powered security tools with the Microsoft Security Copilot. Um, and so, and we were we were talking about, you know, it's the likelihood that um, they would be adding those AI tools into the regular Microsoft Defender. And I want to get your opinion, Chet, on, you know, how good is Defender? Um, do you use or do you recommend a third-party antivirus malware software, um, and do you th with this AI advancement, do you think that we would be leaving those behind at some point because the Windows one would be so strong? Um, that's a great question uh, on three points there. Um, the first point is Windows Defender used to be something that I would never trust to protect my machines, uh, both on the enterprise level nor on the uh, consumer level for years. Same here. Um, say 2009, when I first got into the, the, the sector, um, all the way up until maybe 2017, 2018. Okay. Then eventually 
started to really pull in, um, you know, after Windows 7 and into Windows 8, and now especially into Windows 10 and 11, uh, Defender has actually become something that's, well, pretty pretty good on its own um, at, at detecting malware that's attempting to come into the computer. It's not quite as refined as some of the other ones, so I do still actually recommend having other antivirus on top right now. Um, specifically, I would say, uh, like, something like McAfee. Um, oh, really? some reasons why you wouldn't want to go with Norton, um, yep. and I can't really speak to it, but I'll just say, you know, Norton's not really the one that I would choose for given reasons that I know. Um, and McCaffrey and some other ones like that are a little more trustworthy. Casper Sky, uh, you do usually want to stay mm. away from them as far as you on, on a uh, antiviral level. Oh, sure. uh, especially at this point, because they were a prior Russian antivirus uh, company. Uh, they have obviously their headquarters, I think it's in Switzerland or something like that now. But um, obviously they're still pretty much controlled underneath that side. And they're one of the, the, the ways, and, and the U.S. government has warned about this, they're one of the ways that Russia is uh, trying to also take uh, information from allies. Uh, countries like uh, Canada and and, uh, and whatnot as well. So do watch out for, for antivirus like Capistry. Now, to the third question, um, I, I do think eventually AI gets so good, and especially considering that Microsoft has put you know over $10 billion into this, this deal and this acquisition and the future uh, research and development of it, and I'm sure that they're going to pour even more uh, than that into this as it continues to go on because just the, 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 the capacities and what this is really going to do for them. Um, it, it's, you can't put it to words. And uh, given that, it's going to soon, I would say probably within five years, we're, we're not too far away from AI moving to AGI, mm-hmm. which is automated intelligence, right? Which means that it starts to have a little bit of its own brain, right? It starts to make decisions on its own, um, and, and which can be concerning. That brings a whole other can of worms of moral implications. But... Um, that type of AI would be so good at being able to track and, and find uh, malicious intent inside of code, malicious intent inside of websites, malicious intent across the entirety of the web, that yes, indeed, uh, I think Microsoft could wipe out the need for any antivirus uh, software on their uh, systems. Which would be, um, and, and be amazing. Back on that, but funnily enough, that would actually make Mac be behind the game unless they somehow, Apple here, it would be behind the game unless they're somehow able to get in their Macs and iPads and everything else something that's able to, to, to uh, somehow compete because now then uh, do remember that the whole reason that Apple uh, systems, MacBooks and whatnot were, were considered more safe than uh, Microsoft systems was because there were not as many of them in the market share. So it didn't make a lot of sense for hackers to go after them. Uh, they're going to spend more money to try to get uh, less money. Where in this case, all of the Windows machines are getting locked down for the most part. They're going to go after, of course, like Windows XP and older machines and stuff like that, sure, that aren't being covered, but they're especially going to go after any other pieces of the market share uh, where these protections don't exist. Yeah, exactly. And as and talk, it was funny that you mentioned uh, artificial general intelligence because Microsoft is actually claiming that uh, the AI open, or sorry, chat GPT-4 has shown sparks of it, uh, meaning that his abilities at or above the human level. So it's and, and interesting. I feel, like, I feel like they're probably pushing a little bit on the, the press release side. They're trying to publicize it a little bit too much or speak it up a little bit yeah. uh, from where it really is. If you look at the full details, I think, of that report when I read through it. It had a lot of limitations. It, it, there's a lot of limits. Yeah, there's a lot of limitations uh, still to the idea. But I think I would agree with the one idea that they said, which is this is probably the closest we've ever gotten to AGI yet. Uh, yes, yeah, I think that yeah, uh, that is the most fair statement of all of that. I think yeah, it was a headline, but then as soon as you get into the the paper, it's like 
the actually the you know that's there's the AGI and these are all the ways that we don't reach it yet. So the headline yeah. was very you know misleading, but it you know it's certainly I'm doing but it its job. It definitely got people's attention. And to that a similar note on that too is that let me find it here. Basically, what they did was they there's also been a letter that was uh, signed by a bunch of tech leader leaders out there, an open letter, basically calling for the like that people that they suspend the advancement of AI at this point until the moral implications can be found. There we go, I just found it. Uh, point number 14, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Steve Wozniak, and other tech leaders have signed a petition asking that labs pause the development of artificial intelligences while new protocols are developed to ensure safety. That's around a, ethics, too. That's such a cool news point, and I want to get Chet's opinion on that for sure. We're due for a break here, but let's come back uh, straight to that topic Perfect. in a moment. And welcome back to Tech Talk on this Saturday and Sunday. And thank you for tuning in for the April 1st and 2nd edition. I am Kyle Wilson, filling in for Alan Perry. I'm joined by... Ryan Pavlicic, your Tech Talk producer. And we have Chet on the line, who is a retired Intel and Cyber Threat Analyst for the United States Air Force, who we've been talking with about a lot of security-related topics. He was the Chief Security Officer for the for a multinational investment firm, and he co-founded an advisory firm uh, relating to tech in the Web3 space, and he's also interviewed Elon Musk, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, Hunter, Hunter Biden, and a bunch of others. And we were just going to get on to a topic that is uh, number 14 in this week's show, show notes that... Uh, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Steve Wozniak, and other tech leaders have signed a petition asking that labs pause development on artificial intelligence while new protocols are developed to ensure safety. Um, my first take on this is it's crazy to ask them, you know, you know, China's not going to hit pause on this. Russia's not going to hit pause on this. So many companies, companies are paying so much to try to be a step ahead in this race. I can't imagine a single one of them is even considering hitting pause. But, uh, um, I, you know, I, we're here to hear your opinion on this, Chet. Yes, so uh, uh, my opinions are pretty wide-ranging on this. Yeah. Um, overall, I think uh, there are some major safety and security issues with the current OpenAI models. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't even talked to or discussed. Um, you know, there, there's many different prompts. I won't go into it here, the type of prompts you can put in with, with and, and how you find them. And but get dangerous are- information. Yeah, there, there, in the interest of information, there's ways that I found to look at things like, uh, uh, let's say, uh, how to create weapons of mass destruction, and 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 mm-hmm. detailed of it that get to a level uh, that that is close enough that is worrying, right? And and uh, you imagine if it gets programmed just trains a little bit further than that, it gets even more concerning than that, and and the ability for AI to also then become and and take out, uh, like I said, doing the deep fakes and all that, that's going to become more and more prevalent. Yep, um, and. There isn't proper oversight of this. Uh, I don't think that capitalism itself, um, because the same point you just made right there, all these companies and everyone else is going to be trying to jump to try to be you know, ahead of the game here to make as much money as they can. Yep. And um, that capitalism itself is going to fight against the idea of the moral hazards being presented by this AI. Exactly. Um, so um, I, I'm not sure that, they're, that they will stop it, because once again, capitalism also controls a lot of the, the government con- uh, constraints that happen here. Uh, but hopefully they do. They at least come out with some regulations uh, that would block uh, some of the civilian access to some of the more, let's say, harmful aspects of this potential AI, while still providing enterprises with you know everything that they need. That would be the best outcome, yep. I think, uh, where you can still continue the innovation. But realistically speaking, right now, I would say that the stuff that's available to the public is, is very dangerous. 
Yes, I think this, you know, this mirrors, you know, or the fractal of like a common problem we have with the the age that we're in of technology, where it moves at this pace that government and policy, there's no way it can keep up. Exactly, and that's why they also want to, and why the tech leaders are now coming out and saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hold on, we need to pump the brakes a little bit here, and we need to figure this stuff out before we start continuing too much further." Okay, I, I, I still, yeah. it doesn't feel like it's possible, is my sense. I, what do you do? You think there's a way, a more safer way that we could go about this? Is there? You have a sense for that? I, well, I mean, it, it's really hard to. It's, it's kind of a catch twenty two situation, right? Because part of the problem is. If you don't put it out into the public sphere enough, mm-hmm. uh, then maybe enough of the ways it's going to be tried to be tested against its potential faults. Uh-huh. Um, but if you uh, let it out to the public too soon, potentially the wrong person is going to get access to one of those faults and use it in the wrong ways. Um, and considering the gravity of the nature of the type of information that you can pull out of it, that it shouldn't be able to try to compute based on it's what it's doing is really just kind of assuming the variables for what should be you know inside these weapons, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, based on its, its understanding of physics and this other uh, stuff that's been trained on it. And all you can imagine is it doesn't take that much to then add in a couple, a little bit more of the understanding of general physics, maybe some nuclear physics textbooks or something like that that you start to throw into its language learning models. And uh, now it's able to start really producing content that you should be very concerned about, right? So um, these are the sort of things that can be prevented by them blocking the way that the API can be interacted with. It can be uh, blocked by the way that they, like I said, like the way that allow certain things to be available to the public, like uh, the beta systems, for instance, uh, that are allowing some of those, these prompts to come out without coming back with what's supposed to, which is, this is unethical. Um, those beta systems should be restricted. Right now, they're not. Uh, they're, they're mostly open to pretty much anyone with an email address, uh, whereas it should be some form of beta system where, hey, wait, we see that you've started to do these prompts. Now you get kicked out, right? So um, overall, I'd say it's something that can be resolved. Uh, but I don't think that it's something that uh, any of these companies are going to want to do on their own because it's it's not it's not cost effective for them. I'm sure. Uh, oh, go ahead. In the in the same way that Google, um, and funnily enough, I, I don't know if anyone mentioned this or not, but Google, you know, uh, I was reading an article about this. Google uh, had, according to the information, even used some chat GPT data to try to train Bard. Uh, it's its version of the AI. <laughs> of course, um, <laughs> naturally. Um, um, and and so uh, if they're also coming off the same sort of stuff that it's using then then it's kind of comes into a contagion effect right Uh, so yeah I think there needs to be some form of regulation on that definitely and just a brief correction to the article I just noticed this we'll update the show notes um and CNN had initially reported that Bill Gates signed the letter, mm-hmm. but uh, while the executives were initially listed as signatories, the nonprofit behind the letter removed their names, so or removed his name. Oh, I should okay. Say. So uh, just to clarify that it he may or may not have that's kind of a question mark now. Okay, yeah. Just, sort of like, I was going to ask about that because I mean he's he still has quite a, a significant amount of Microsoft stock and yeah. uh, woman <laughs> that it wouldn't be in his best interest to write such a letter. Yeah, no, that that was correct at the time the notes were writ- written last night, but um, but it's changed since then. So I just Very noticed that. Okay. Yeah, I guess I, I, a point that stuck out to me is uh, is like uh, I don't forget the term for it, but like it's like this real world testing. Like you can learn so much by putting it out there and seeing where it bends and breaks, rather than just lab testing. And so there's there's the security risk of that. But these companies stand to make leaps and gains because they're testing it on millions of people every minute of every day. Exactly. Yeah. 
sample sizes are massive. I think there's millions of users right now in the system. And, and all of them are putting in a massive amount of prompts per day. I, I think it's where they had to limit the ChatGPT4 system. If I remember correctly, it's now to 20 or so uh, prompts per every three hours or something like that. And it used to be significantly more than that. So it, like they're already uh, dealing with an overload almost of the people that are uh, trying to use the system. And it won't take them that long, you'd think, before they're able to say, okay, now here's all the risks. Let's lock it down. Hopefully that's what they do. Yes. Um, but time will tell, unfortunately. That's sort of, yeah, that's the way it goes. And talking about security risks, too, uh, the U.S. Congress, number 28 in the show notes, uh, the U.S. Congress is going to continue to pursue a ban in the popular short-form video app TikTok uh, following its grilling at a congressional hearing. Some TikTok users, though, however, and I think you'll find this interesting, Chet, uh, they remain supportive of the app. Let's, uh, we have, uh, we're on the clock here. We got one more segment to fit in before yep. uh, the, uh, the end of the show here. So uh, hold that thought and let's okay. be right back. Welcome back to the last segment of Tech Talk. So we're just going to continue here with Chet. We only have about a minute left, roughly. Uh, so the U.S. Congress was pursuing its ban of TikTok still, and uh, but however, users are supportive of it still. Chet, go ahead. One minute. Yes. And I watched the entire hearing. I'll just say it was a disaster for the head of TikTok. And, and coming back from my prior experience in the Air Force uh, and everything that we knew about, uh, let's say, China and other, other, let's say, non-allied countries and their use of technology, uh, one of the key things for people to keep, keep in mind is, um, obviously, for users, there's that saying, uh, far easier to be fooled than to be told that you have been fooled. And it was something like TikTok. It has such a wonderful uh, video um, you know, database on top of it. It's a great thing. You want to keep using it over and over again. But even something that nice can have spyware underneath it. And that's the thing that a lot of us don't understand. And, and from the perspective of where I stand and everything that I know about it, and from, especially from the answers he gave, all I could say is um, if I had a TikTok on my uh, phone right now, I would delete it and I would never open it back up again. Wow. Um, and that, and that's, that's how bad it is. So, yeah, I'll leave it there. Yes. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, yes, thank today. you so much for joining us. Uh, it was great to have you on, Chet. And again, he is a uh, retired Intel and cyber threat analyst for the U.S. Air Force and a good friend of mine. Thank you so much for joining us, Chet. And uh, we'll throw you right now to uh, Ryan George. Yeah, this, we teased this moment. Uh, we're going to leave on a, on a funny note here. So uh, this is uh, for the first guy that thought of driving a taxi. Yes. Hi there. Hello. Hi there. Hello. Hey, so get in, please. Oh, I don't. Get in. Come on. Get into my car. Come on now, please. No. No, thank you. Why not? Because I don't, you know, know you. So? I don't want to be kidnapped. I promise I won't. That's not exactly reassuring. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Because see, again, I'm not familiar with you as a person. Get in my car. What is this? Are you catcalling me? No, 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 no. This is not a cat calling situation. You would know if I was catcalling you. Uh, (laughs) I'd be like, meow. That's not how catcalling works, I don't think. Enter my vehicle. Why? Because it's this new thing I'm starting. You get in and I'll bring you places. Oh. Yeah, bet you feel pretty silly now, don't you? Uh, No, I still, I still feel pretty weird about this concept. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me paint a picture for you. Okay. With my words. Oh. You're somewhere, right? And all of a sudden you're like, I need to go somewhere else. Oh, that does happen to me. So I show up in my vehicle and I bring you to said place of your choosing that the somewhere else you decided. How do I know you're a good driver? You just trust me. I, no. Come on, roll the dice with your life, please. How do I know you're not a serial killer or something?
You just trust me. That was a long pause. That was a real long pause. Come on, this is a good business idea, I think. I don't think so, man. I see a bunch of problems with this right off the bat. Like what? Well, how do I even let you know that I need your services? Oh, well, I'll be driving around town, so you see me, you just give me a little wave and I'll pull over. What if I say hi to someone and you think I'm calling you over? Well, don't say hi to people anymore, please. That'll interfere with my business. What if I need a ride and you don't happen to be driving past me at that exact moment? Right, well, tell you what, I could set up a kind of call center where a rude person can kind of dispatch me to you. And so it goes.